Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hello, everybody. This is Lenny Goldberg, and thanks for joining me. This week is the yort site of the sainted rabbi, Rabbi Aryeh Levine, passed away on the 9th of Nisan. Aryeh Levine was known as being the rabbi of the Jewish underground freedom fighters who were fighting the British in the pre-state days. And Aryeh Levine would visit them every Shabbat, both men and women prisoners of the underground. And he, at great risk, would relay messages to the family members of these prisoners. He had a photographic memory. He could relay the messages verbatim. And he would walk to every family member of those prisoners in the Jerusalem cold or in the Jerusalem heat. And he would relay those messages. And he had tons of notes from the prisoners. He would keep it in his oversized coat, which had lots of pockets sewn inside that his wife sewed for him. Anyway, there's a well-known book called At Tzaddik in Our Time by Simcha Raz. And I wanted to read what Yisrael Eldad wrote about Ari Levine. On one of his visits to the prison, Yisrael Eldad, of course, was one of the heads of the underground group called the Lechi or the Stern Gang. After the murder of Avraham Yair Stern, Eldad became one of the leaders and he was put in prison. And while he was in prison, he built a close relationship with Rabbi Ari Levine. And I want to read to you what he writes telling us what it was like when Rabbi Ari Levine would visit the boys in jail. Again, this is from the book At Tzaddik in Our Time by Simcha Raz. The detention camp knew no happier days than those when Reb Aryeh came on a visit. Even the blind could perceive the Shechina, the divine presence entering with him. No bodyguard, no secretary came with him. He came only with his heart, ready to move others and be moved. How happy he was to see us, like a child that finds its mother. He came laden with love and left laden with love sevenfold as everyone reciprocated and returned the affection he gave. He came laden with greetings, messages, and news from the inmates' families and the friends and left laden sevenfold with greetings, messages, and news. There was information that we would not have revealed to our nearest relatives, yet we entrusted Rabarie with it. Addresses, names, dates. He had his own mnemonic devices and ways to remember. Anyway, so when he came into the prison, he would start calling out names as though reading from a mental list. Where is so-and-so? What has become of so-and-so? Why is he not here? And then away we went to find them. For at times he came unexpectedly and the inmates were scattered about in the camp. But Rabari had to see everyone on a cold stormy day when he himself, in a very thin coat, he once rubbed my hands and asked anxiously, why have you come out like this without a proper overcoat? You are likely to catch a cold. For a brief moment, I had the sensation that my mother and father were standing at my cradle, covering me warmly and fondling me with affection. Okay, so now Yisrael Adad is going to explain what was it like to pray Mincha with Rabari Levine, because he'd come during the day, and now it's time for Mincha, for the afternoon prayers. They pray Mincha in the prison shul there. So listen to what he says. He would gather us into a congregation and lead us in Mincha the ordinary afternoon prayer service that so many ignore and treat with disrespect. So following the regular procedure, we sit Shmon Asrei, the 18 benedictions, the Amidah, silently standing, and then Rebarie repeated it aloud. Yet, what was this? Why were there suddenly tears in one's eyes? Why did a lump suddenly form in the throat? Rebarie was simply saying the benedictions of Shmon Asrei. Lashiv shoftenu karishona. To restore our judges the way it used to be, he prayed to the Almighty. And it was as though you heard the prayer for the very first time. 
Only now, the meaning of it dawned on you. Here in this British jail in the land of Israel, you realize the full impact of those good plain words, Lashiv Shoftenu Karishona, to restore our judges like it used to be. And so it was, with one benediction after another, every word simply went from his heart and our hearts responded, rising and falling like waves in the small building that served as our synagogue. This was the prayer of Rabari, like a seafaring vessel, rising and falling on waves of emotion. Okay, so now after we explain what Mincha was like, Rabari is going to give a Devar Torah, okay? So he says like this, After the prayer, Reb Arye addressed us. Other rabbis spoke better than he did, in measured tones and cultured voices, with techniques of rhetoric. He had none of the speaker's gifts. In fact, in fact, his Hebrew had this Ashkenazi accent from the Eastern Europe of his youth, and many who were accustomed to the Sephardic pronunciations could hardly follow him. Yet the people stood and listened, drinking in his words with parched spirits. For Rabbi Arye spoke from his heart, and he expressed the thoughts of our hearts. In every talk, he managed to allude to the topics of the day that were in the burning interest of the world and to the inmates. A new decree by the British authorities, an armed clash or attack, brethren of ours who fell in the fire or condemned men who were executed. So that is, he's, so he's saying that Rabari Levine, he's talking about the stuff they're interested in. He's not giving these sterile Devar Torahs. His Devar Torahs are relevant to what the underground's going through. Okay, so Eldad goes on. Rabari lived with these happenings. He knew and shared our feelings. Now Eldad is going to explain that sometimes Rabari Levine would speak to him personally and give over some devotees to him and says like this, I don't know how or why I deserved his attention, but from time to time, he would tell me individually some thought or point to be found in the words of the Torah, apart from the Torah thoughts and lessons that he conveyed to all the camp prisoners. I felt myself unworthy of this honor. I mean, with many others, I have a sense of my own worth and standing, but in his presence, I felt myself an empty vessel, gratefully receiving whatever he gave. And when the time came to depart, he found it hard to leave us. I envy you, he would tell us. I truly envy you. Again and again, he would encourage us. Here, you have this immense opportunity to bear the suffering for all of Am Yisrael. But as for me, what am I? I can only share somewhat in this suffering. Your merit before Hashem is far greater than mine. And we all knew he spoke the truth he felt. We believed him. Indeed, he did envy us. And at last, he walked towards the camp entrance. He would look back. Again and again, he would shake someone's hand, cover it with both of his, and whisper once more the old Jew was saying, You shot Hashem Kerifayin. God's salvation is in the twinkle of an eye, the twinkle of an eye. And long after he left, the warmth of his visit remained with us, in the eyes that had seen him, and the hands he held. The words of his prayer still vibrated and penetrated the heart. Our emotions overflowed and swirled about. We had one simple thought. It's good to be a Jew when there are Jews like that. Anyway, that's Yisrael Eldad describing a visit from Rav Ari Levine in only the way Eldad could describe it. And this entire book is a wonder, a tzaddik in our time by Shimcharaz. Every word of it, every page is gold. Moving on to Israeli politics and of course the judicial reforms, that's what's rocking our world here. And here's an article from the Slimes of Israel, excuse me, the Times of Israel, says like this, as judicial reform advances, some critics opt to leave Israel. And there's a long article here detailing how all these critics of the judicial reforms, they're making plans to emigrate from Israel 
and live in Europe and other nice places. Those are the good ones who just want to leave. But the rich oligarchs who oppose the plan, they don't want to leave. They want to burn the country down. They are mobilizing investors not to invest in Israel anymore. They're refusing to do their army service. Basically, they're saying that the whole country could go to hell if it's not the kind of country that I dreamed of living in. And what kind of country is that? A leftist, liberal, internationalist country void of any Jewish tradition. And what you see every day in the streets is how vicious they are, how dangerous they can be in these riots, like the left always is. Think Antifa. Now, if you go back in history, these are the same types who bombed the Altalena. Now, the Altalena was carrying massive weapons, which would have helped us win the War of Independence much more decisively. It was a ship full of ammunition. Ben Hecht raised the money for it, along with Mickey Cohen from the Jewish Mafia. And this boat was bombed out of the water on the shores of Tel Aviv. It had desperately needed weapons that we needed. 17 Jews who were on the Altalena were murdered. Some of them were shot in the water as they tried to swim to the shore. And you can ask, why did Ben-Gurion and Rabin blow it up? Because they knew that Menachem Begin was becoming popular. They looked at him as a threat to him because, because the people were realizing that the Irgun was right. And it was an Irgun ship. It wasn't their guys. It was an Irgun initiative. And so you got to blow it up because we only want a state if it's in our image. And Ben-Gurion only wants a state if he's in charge. And Zev Jepetinsky used to call them Cain. How are they like the biblical Cain? Because what is Cain saying to Abel? Even if there are only two people in the world, me and you, Cain and Abel, I'm the Balabayat. That is, nobody can be the Balabayat but me. And that's the left. They don't care if there's a state of Israel or not a state. But if there is, I got to be the Balabayat. I'm in charge. And they were always violent. And they went after Rabbi Kahana for the same reasons. Back in August 1985, Rabbi Kahana held a rally in Givatayim. Givatayim is a suburb of Tel Aviv. A police permit was granted a week before the rally, and it brought forth a crusade. Israel State Radio and Television all talked about this rally, and they said, come to give a time and stop the rally. This was on State Radio. Now, Rabbi Kahana isn't one to back down, so he's going to go to that rally no matter what. And indeed, they came by the thousands, mostly members of the kibbutzim who were bussed in, hundreds of buses, thousands of people, and they were violent. I mean, the rabbi would have been lynched if the Magav hadn't stepped in. And I want to read a little bit how the rabbi analyzed the left back then and what they did to him, because it's exactly what they're doing now. This is what he said after that rally in Givatayim when the leftists almost killed him. I have seen the face of the real fascism and the real cruelty and real hate and real vicious animalism. And it is important that you see it too. For it is the face of the gentilized Hebrews who represent all that is foreign and antithetical to Judaism and who are driven by a deep pathology to attempt to destroy the source of their existence. Let there be no mistake, these are haters. The primordial, visceral haters whose ugliness is a stench that comes from deep in the soul. These are the real fascists, the real killers. They hate and wish to destroy Kahana, but only as a symbol of that which is the target of their ultimate hate. They hate Kahana because they hate Judaism and Jews and themselves. And there is nothing they will not do in order to wipe out that Kahanism that they correctly see as true Judaism, a Judaism that brands their own lives as fraudulent, empty, and truly un-Jewish. Concerning these did the rabbi say, greater is the hate that an ignoramus has for a scholar than the Gentile for a Jew. Greater by far, far, far greater, and far more dangerous. 
They hate the Shabbat and they hate the laws of Judaism and they hate the yeshivas and they hate the rabbis and they hate being Jewish and they hate God and they hate Zionism and a Jewish state and they need to be different. And they hate Kahana for representing all this. So Rabbi Kahana tasted all this hate back in 1985. Again, it's coming to a head, not against Kahana, but against the entire right-wing traditional camp. So bringing it up to the present, here they are rioting. And what's interesting is that with all their violence, nobody gets arrested. They block roads. They don't let ambulances go through. They break windows. I mean, they're unhinged and nothing happens to them. No arrests, no beatings by the cops. You know, if you go back to the times of the Gush Katif evacuation back in 2005, also then you had these mass demonstrations and people went to jail. As a matter of fact, my daughter sat in jail that summer for 40 days. I'm not kidding. She was 14 years old and she and two other girlfriends from Tapuach, they went to prison for 40 days for what? For blocking roads, little girls. Oh, what a summer that was. And if you remember a little bit later, the violence we saw against the settlers in Amona, when they went to dismantle Amona near Ofra, they unleashed their billy clubs and beat the hell out of those kids. I remember my friend who played college football suggesting to me that, hey, let's buy them football helmets for these demonstrators so they don't get their heads bashed in. I mean, the police have helmets and billy clubs. We need them too. But yet when these leftists demonstrate in the streets, nothing. It's, it's just like in the States when you had those George Floyd riots by the left, they burned cities down. And yet all they talk about is January 6th. So the left is still out there in the streets fighting for their survival because they know they don't have a majority in the country. So they have to try to hold on to those corridors of power like the judiciary, the media, the army, where you don't have elections. And the funny thing is their slogan is democracy. We're losing democracy. So you can ask, what do they mean by that? After all, this government was democratically elected. Isn't that democracy? No, no. For them, democracy isn't about majority rule. What they mean is the values of democracy, the idea of democracy, equality, live and let live, no religious coercion. So you clearly have here a battle of democracy versus Judaism. The people who voted for this government have an affinity for Jewish tradition and the left wants to do away with any trace of Judaism in the country. And isn't this what Rabbi Kahn always talked about? There's a contradiction between Zionism and democracy. You can either be a democratic state or a Jewish state, but you can't be both. You can't have a democratic Jewish state. It's a contradiction in terms. And now everybody sees it and everybody talks about it. And so that's the difference between Rabbi Kahana and every other right-wing leader. You know what the difference is? About 30 to 40 years. This past week, more Jews got shot in Khawara by Arabs. This time they shot at David Stern. David Stern was with his wife in a car. And while he came to the roundabout, he noticed an Arab passing by who looked suspicious to him. And David Stern got his gun ready. And sure enough, the Arab turned towards him and started shooting. And David shot back at him. And they were shooting each other at the same time. David got wounded. The Arab got wounded. Miraculously, his wife was unhurt. The Arab fled and was later caught by soldiers. David Stern managed to bandage his own wound with a tourniquet. He was taken to the hospital with a bullet in his shoulder and a couple of bullets that grazed his head, but he had no major wounds in his head, thank God. You see, David Stern, he's an ex-Marine martial arts expert and sharpshooter. He became a Balshuva. He came to Israel. And today he trains soldiers in all kinds of disciplines. I remember him back in Tapuach many years ago when Yakutiel Ben Yaakov, alias Mike, established the Jewish Legion so that Jews could protect themselves in the Shamron. And David Stern was training those guys. I remember him being very professional, a very humble person, 
a true scholar warrior. He eventually left the Puach for the wide open hilltops of Itamar. And I don't know about the rest of Am Israel, but I know the settler community were pulling for him like crazy to make it through. Everybody was praying for him. At the beginning, we didn't know how badly he was hurt. And as the news got out, how he was able to defend himself and shoot back at that Arab, it was more than just the fact that he was hurt and we were worried about him, but we were so impressed and so proud that finally a Jew shoots back? Because how often is it that the Jew takes offense? How often is it that the Jew shoots at the Arab? Wow, he defends himself and shoots the Arab back who's shooting at him? That doesn't happen every day because usually by the time you're getting shot out, you're already dead. But David Stern had the instincts to make it through this and defend his family, and defend himself, and wound the Arab in the process. This is a Jewish hero, and Am Israel loves their heroes. Because let me tell you something, we don't have that many. Anyway, David Stern, thank God, is okay. A few days ago, he was discharged from the hospital to a hero's welcome, back to his hilltop in Itamar. And when David was interviewed in the hospital, one of the things he said was, look, this is really dangerous, and with God's miracle, I got out of this thing alive. But what about the next family that's going through Hawara and gets shot at? David Stern is correct. Not every Jew is an ex-Marine, martial arts expert, sharpshooter, Superman type. And yes, so something has to be done if we're going to keep driving through Hawara because there is no bypass road. And just one more thing I wanted to mention. You know, we spoke to David privately afterwards and he said something very true. Remember, he was able to react the way he did because he was alert and he saw that Arab before his car who was acting suspiciously. So before the Arab started shooting, David anticipated it. He already suspected him. And then when the Arab made a move for his gun, a suspicious move, David was already ready with his gun. But he also knew throughout all this that he was risking sitting in prison for life. Because let's say the Arab in the end didn't pull out a gun and David shot him. Well, David Stern would then be sitting in prison for life, God forbid. And that split second where he has to think about it, he has to be sure that the Arab indeed is going to shoot at him, then he can shoot. That split second could cost him his life. And so don't think that wasn't going through his head too. And so that's the situation. God save us all. I want to do as I always do, get a little bit into the Torah Parsha. You know, these Parshas of the Torah now deal with the sacrifices. Parshat Vayikra, Parshat Sav, something that's kind of removed from us. We're not used to offering sacrifices at the temple, especially city people. What do they know about animals? The most they ever see is a squirrel. But the fact is, the Torah teaches us that if you want to get close to Hashem, the way to do it is to take a lamb or a goat or a cow and sacrifice it on the altar. And I just wanted to talk about one aspect of this. When does one bring a sin offering, a korban chatat? When one sins by accident, a chotebe shogeg. If you sinned on purpose, you don't bring a sacrifice. There might be a different kind of atonement for that. But the only time you bring a sacrifice to the temple is if you sinned unwillingly. By accident, you accidentally put on the lights on Shabbat. You accidentally ate some unkosher food. Then you bring the sacrifice. And one can say, you know, why is that? I mean, it's by accident. Why do I have to bring a sacrifice and get atonement for something that was not on purpose? I didn't mean it. Well, the approach of the Torah is like this. If you sin by accident, you should have been more careful. That is... There's no such thing as an accident, really. I mean, if you really cared, you might not have forgot that it was Shabbat. You might have checked if the food was kosher. So the question is, do you care enough? The Torah doesn't give you a free pass just because you did it by accident. It's not like, oops, sorry. No, if you sin by accident, it's something like out of Freud. There's no such thing as an accident. Something's behind it. And so even though we say to err is human, okay, well, 
according to Judaism, it may be human, but it's not as forgivable as you think it is. It's like if you do something wrong and you say, well, I didn't mean it. Well, that's not a good enough excuse. The Torah wants you to mean it. So you got to give a sacrifice. And once you understand this, you can understand something else in Jewish law. We know that a person who is a rotsech b'shogeg, he accidentally kills somebody else. The brother of the person who was killed, he can redeem the blood of his brother and kill the rotsech b'shogeg. He can kill that murderer even if he did it by accident. And that's why the murderer, to save himself from the brother, the goel dam, the redeemer of blood, he's got to run to an ir miklat, a city of refuge, and only then he'll be safe. So you can always ask, why is the redeemer of blood, the relative of the victim who was killed, why is he allowed to kill the murderer Bishogeg? The guy didn't mean it. Well, that's the point. He maybe didn't mean it, but maybe he could have been more careful. The example given in the Talmud of the classic Rotsech Bishogeg, somebody kills somebody by accident, the example they give is that if somebody has an axe, he's working with his axe, and the head of the axe flies off the wood and hits somebody in the head and kills that person. That's a Rosech B'Shogeg. The person with the axe didn't mean to kill the guy, but what? Maybe he should have been more careful and take care that the piece of the axe doesn't fly off the wood. Maybe you could secure it better. It's like the saying, which is true, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You can't just say, I didn't know. That's not good enough. And it's not good enough in Torah either. And that's why you got to bring a sacrifice. So next time you're by accident, you know, flick on the light switch on Shabbat because you forgot. Okay, I get it. It was an accident. But actually, it's not enough to say, oops, sorry, you got to bring a sacrifice because you could have been more careful. You got to care. And by the way, that's why the Rotzech B'Shogeg, he who murders somebody by accident, he runs to the Ir Miklat. And that's a city where the priests and the Levites live. And the priests, they're very meticulous and they are careful and they are diligent and they don't take things lightly. They're Zihirim, which means they're very careful in how they do things. And so the person who murdered somebody by accident He'll learn from them. He'll learn how to do things carefully. And so let that be a lesson to all of us in our dealings with God and our dealings with our fellow man. Be careful. It's not a good enough excuse to say, Lohit Kavanti, I didn't mean it. Let's live our lives in a way that we mean it. And with that, I'll see you guys next week. Don't forget to listen to my Bible classes. Right now we're in the book of Samuel. Really great stuff with David Amelech running around, fleeing King Saul. We really get into it. You can Google in Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. It's a podcast on Spotify and other places. So try to listen to some of that because there's nothing like Bible study when it's done the proper way. That's it for me. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio. 